Hi, I'm Todd Billings, and this is the End of the Christian Life Podcast. The Christian life is a story, a story of one victory after another, right? That might seem like good news, but as I discovered anew in writing my book, The End of the Christian Life, that's not the Bible's story. And let's be honest, our lives don't exactly fit that story either, even on our best days. In this podcast, you are invited to journey with me as I talk to people who have thought deeply about what it means to live as a mortal before the everlasting God. I discovered them in the process of writing my book, and I'm still learning from them. These wise souls have walked in the dark valley themselves and with others. So let's get started. Today, I'm delighted to have Deanna Thompson with us on the podcast. She's a professor at St. Olaf College, a Lutheran theologian, surprise, surprise for St. Olaf, um, the author of five books, and someone I'm honored to call a friend. Deanna is just one of the most kind and courageous people I know. Welcome, Deanna. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Delighted to be here. Great to talk to you, Todd. Yeah. Now, you know, in a certain sense, Deanna, everybody listening to this podcast has what we might call a terminal condition, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, the human condition. But you and I belong to a special club. It's not a club that I think either of us wanted to be a part of or listeners should want to be a part of. But it's a special club. Mid-career theologians with late stage cancer. (laughs) Right. I don't think there are too many of us, are there? I don't think so. Yeah. (laughs) Today, we're going to talk about um, one of your books, Glimpsing Resurrection, Cancer, Trauma, and Ministry. And I was honored to be an early reader and discussion partner with this book, was able to make it out to Minneapolis, the land of many Lutherans, and, uh, (laughs) and enter into some really meaningful discussions. Could you tell us a little bit more about your background as it relates to this book, what interested you in writing it, and maybe just the short version that if you run mm-hmm. into somebody in an elevator um, who wants to know what this is about. <laughs> yeah. Well, like you said, I have stage four cancer and was diagnosed 11 and a half years ago, and I have stage four breast cancer, and how it was found was it broke my back. And that meant that the cancer had spread and um, that led to some really intense treatments. Um, The statistics for people living long and well with my condition are pretty low, but I've had incredible medical treatment and a really amazing support network. And for reasons that aren't 100% clear, I'm living long and well with this really serious diagnosis. And as you've said, I'm also a theologian. And initially, I had very few words to talk about my condition. But 
writing about it through online postings, which has become a very popular way to deal with your serious illness these days. I started to find my voice a little bit and people encouraged me to write more. So I started writing more and and have had a couple books about my experience of living with cancer and how that intersects with questions of faith and God's place and role. And then a number of years ago, I got asked by a friend, Shelly Rambo, who you also know as well. And she works on trauma and theology. And she was working on a on an edited volume called Post Traumatic Public Theology. She hmm. invited me to write about serious illness and trauma. And I did not know before she asked me to participate in this that there was actually a fairly large body of research about how trauma and serious illness intersect. And so through writing that chapter for that book, I started to get immersed in this literature. And I felt like being exposed to that literature and reading about how trauma works in people who are seriously ill, it felt really revelatory for me to get immersed in this literature. I thought this material helps interpret my life of living with serious stage cancer more than anything else I've encountered in, Hmm. and at that point it was probably six years of living with the disease. So I started to think that it would be helpful to think more deeply about trauma and illness. And so I had a sabbatical coming up and proposed this project and was able to get a grant that allowed me to bring you and some others to Minnesota to help me think about this bigger project. And one of the things that really became clear to me is the way in which I think trauma and learning about how trauma works in people's lives gives us pause and maybe sobers our assessment of the seriousness of the illness and the long-term, not just physical effects of the illness, but the longer-term psychological, emotional, and spiritual effects of the illness. And I felt like that's the part that we really don't have a, a strong handle on in society at large, but also really in religious circles. I I think we know cancer is a really serious illness and it's really difficult to deal with, but I think there's a lot more to probe in terms of the effects it has on us, our sense of self and who we are before God and in community. Um, And that's what I really wanted to dig into in this project. Yeah, I found your work here to be, yeah, something that has impacted how I view myself and other cancer patients as, as well. And I'm wondering, why is it that cancer patients or others with serious illness aren't really introduced to the idea of trauma? <laughs> I mean, it was mentioned by one of my oncologists, I think two years into my disease, mm. it was, mm. I, I ask a lot of really nerdy questions. <laughs> And he just sort of parenthetically said, oh, yeah, of course, you know, that's a sort of trauma theory thing that, you know, is also applicable for um, cancer patients. And I'm like, that's that's really interesting. Um, I mean, on the one hand, people from the outside see, oh, wow, many people with cancer are living longer. And so it's this really 
sort of happy story. Uh-huh. But then it sounds like you almost came across the category of trauma by accident in some ways, almost. Uh, because <laughs> right, of absolutely. Your scholarly friends and research. Uh-huh. Yeah, I really, I'm not sure why the medical field, um, but I would also say that the pastoral counseling field, I'm not sure exactly why they don't talk about it more. Um, I'm especially wondering that from the medical point of view, because most of the research that I was doing, you know, is in medical journals and oncology journals and nursing Mm. journals. And so it's very readily available to physicians, to folks in the medical field, And I don't know if it's a sense that the real focus is on treating the body and the bodily symptoms. You know, I know that I've had a lot of caring medical professionals who've worked with me and they're very supportive, but that language of trauma just hasn't been something that they've used. And so part of writing the book was to try to say, I think this language needs to become more common when we talk about cancer. And I think, you know, the point you brought up about more of us living longer with really serious diagnoses might also be part of the issue. I think, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, um, I know people who had the kind of cancer I have were dying really quickly. And so in other words, you know, there wasn't a long time to live with and try to negotiate the trauma. And so I do think that moving forward, as more and more of us are living long and well, that this category actually becomes more important because we're living with the way in which cancer compromises our physical abilities, the way it takes its toll on us. Um, And trauma, I think the, the lens of trauma can really help us interpret, you know, why am I reacting the way I'm reacting? Why am I sad when I get this good medical news, right? As you've experienced and I've mm-hmm. experienced, this is what I have heard from many people. When the future starts to open up again to them, mm-hmm. that's when the trauma kind of hits because you're focused on survival um, initially, mm-hmm. right? And you might even be ready to die in some sense. And then you're like, yes. oh, that's your a good point. friend over here is dying and you have longer and you don't know how long and right yeah Yeah, and I think that when the future opens back up you know the question is how am I going to go forward how am I going to continue to live you know Shelly Rambo calls trauma the suffering that remains and so when the future opens up um, and you're asked to step into it in this very changed Um, environment for you as someone who has incurable cancer, the suffering remains with you. And, you know, the question is, how are you going to live alongside that? And that's the piece that I really wanted to help explore for people. Yeah. One of the ways in which you summarize some of the stories, some of the cancer stories, is just with a phrase that just hit me right in the forehead when I read Mm. it. I can't go on. Mm-hmm. I can't go on. Yeah. And some of what's striking is that's such a contrast to mm. some of the other ways in which society at large talks about cancer stories. For and sure. The church does. And I mean, one thing I admire about you, Deanna, and I also don't, I don't know if I would have had the patience for is... <laughs> 
the extent to which you've engaged in, you know, online community with the uh-huh. church, with these things, you know, you have a book about that. And I think it's, I mean, it's humbling for me because it shows me some of the positive things that can come through social social media and interaction. Uh, uh-huh. But how do you deal with what at one point you call in the book the, the tyranny of the positive cancer story? In right. some sense, as cancer patients, we, we want the story to go well. We want our cancer right. to stay as low as possible. But what people hear when they hear a positive uh-huh. diagnostic update very right. well may be, oh, a story of victory, this is a miracle. And uh-huh. what the cancer patient themselves may be feeling is uh-huh. this phrase that just keeps knocking around. And I think it knocked around with, you know, a number of the people who you interviewed. Yeah. I can't go on. I can't go on that feeling. Yeah, I think this is such an important issue. In the book, I, I use that a phrase that you're referring to from Samuel Beckett. And that actually comes from Paul Kalanithi, who um, wrote a beautiful book, When Breath Becomes Air. Mm. Such a powerful book. Paul uses that phrase from Samuel Beckett, I can't go on, I'll go on. And, you know, he, Kalanithi talks so powerfully about, you know, waking up in the morning and being just overwhelmed by that sense that I can't go on. And then, you know, realizing that that day he wasn't dying um, and that he would get up and he was a neurosurgeon, so he'd put on his scrubs and he'd try to go on. Um, and I think, yeah, that that phrase from Samuel Beckett um, captures very well the sense that a lot of us, the place a lot of us have been in living with this serious disease. And people have talked about, you know, in the wider society, we have a, a sense that um, cancer is framed in battle language and we fight the cancer and we want to beat the cancer and you've won. And, you know, there's been some critiques of that, that people have heard, but um, I think people, you know, right. Like you said, we want positive stories. Those of us living with the disease want um, to move into remission. We want to live, we want to do better. We want to be part of the group, you know, that's going to survive longer. Um, So at some level, right. It, it all makes sense. At another level, though, and this is where I started to realize that I think the way a lot of Christians talk about illness is not necessarily using that same battle imagery, but using the imagery that you've experienced suffering, but you're going to experience resurrection. And there's um, the power of prayer to heal and that God's going to, you know, God is doing these good things in your life um, and will do these good things. And we've got pressure from some corners of Christianity that it's about being positive, thinking good things, being a faithful person, you'll get rewarded with these good things. But one of the realities for me is as I started living longer with this disease, I started to realize that this language of like death to new life, while I think is a really powerful storyline in the Christian imagination, obviously, um, at the same time, that story from, you know, the biblical text is 
actually much more complicated. Yeah, um, yeah. There's this really uh, moving part of your book where you actually quote something you wrote shortly after your diagnosis, yeah. <laughs> where it's right. like, yeah, this is like death to new life and right. and getting a second chance at life and right. your patient. And then you electrify it. And that's a very powerful moment of the book. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it did make sense to me right away. I thought I would die really quickly, and I didn't. And so it felt like following the Christian storyline of death to new life. And then I kept living, and it became more complicated. <laughs> um, and it didn't feel like resurrection a lot of days. It yeah. felt really like a struggle and it felt like a lot of I needed a lot of space to lament and it felt like an anxious place and an uncertain place and mm -hmm. I didn't feel reassured and you know so all these experiences led me back to looking at the biblical text with a, a different eye and saying you know where are there spaces for people like me who are undone by physical illness, undone by something like cancer, where are the places for me to, to be undone and to express that uncertainty and to be incredibly sad and to be sometimes angry and to not know what's next and to maybe experience more the absence of God rather than the reassuring presence of God. Um, and I found that actually when we're looking for it, mm -hmm. those experiences are honored and given space all throughout the biblical text. Um, but I think many times we overlook them. Yeah. So you have a section on lament and then on Christian, Christian hope and what it, looks like to sort of dare to hope from this place. Can you say more about that? I mean, the category that comes up for a lot of people is, okay, I want to experience victory here. Um, yeah. And when I experience victory, that's a sign of God's presence. Mm -hmm. And even if the cancer patient themselves is unsure about that, if they have Christian friends, they'll often hear mm -hmm. hear that reflected to them. What, right. what do you think hope looks like in this mm. context for those undone by cancer? Right, and I think that's you know that's a that's a big question, and and I continue to kind of wrestle with that. But one of the things I talk about in the book is that the opposite of hope is fear. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and I think, you know, what I've experienced and what I've noticed spending a lot of time with other people who are in similar situations of living with incurable illness, and this is again where I think the trauma category is really helpful. What I've found is when people feel like they don't have a space to express their sadness and their grief and their being undone, that when the other people in their life are really invested in that victory narrative, that that inability to express their sadness authentically, that that 
kind of squelches hope for them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. it seems to me that, um, I feel like a, a big step toward being able to hope is being given and, and taking that space to lament the being undone. And so this is where I feel like Christian communities really, it's so important to allow that space of lament and, and expressing the sadness. Um, because when people aren't allowed to do that, I think that's when they get stuck. Um, mm -hmm. They can't, they can't see a, any kind of future. And I think, you know, part of when I talk about hope, what I, what I try to do is that, you know, like you've been saying, we don't want to we don't want to just say when you get cancer, you know, you shouldn't hope for a longer life here on earth. You know, you should like, mm -hmm. absolutely. We hope for that. We try to get the best treatment we can. We, you know, we really, we, we want that longer life. And so I, I think that hope is hope for more tomorrows here and now, but also, and this is where, you know, I think we can, we in Christian communities can do a better job of this both and. We hope for more tomorrows here on earth. At the same time, I think that it, it does a disservice to people who are really ill to keep talking to them about hoping for a miracle, hoping they're going to get better, um, especially when that's not at all what they're hearing from the medical folks they're working with. Hoping that and I the think, doctor's wrong in a sense. Yeah, mm -hmm. that that's not typically very helpful mm -hmm. um, for people who, who want to try to prepare for what's coming. And so I think, um, you know, what does hope look like when, you know, and these are things you're thinking about too, what does hope look like when, you know that the end of this life is coming soon. And this is where I think being with people in that space can be really scary because it kind of forces those of us who aren't in that place to kind of confront our own mortality and then likely confront the mortality of the person who's facing this themselves. And that can be really hard, but it's it's also a holy place of really trying to encourage and, you know, the passage I use in the chapter on hope in the book is from First Thessalonians where Paul says, encourage one another with these words, right? Mm. And, and I think part of what I'm trying to do is help people think that the, the encouraging words of hope are sometimes about more life here now. And sometimes there are, you know, words about reassurance that um, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus, right? That mm -hmm. neither life nor death. And mm -hmm. to help people kind of foster that sense of hope in the life to come while mm. also honoring the life that is here and now. Yeah. And I think that both and for me is really important. And that's where I think maybe more listening on our part to those who are in these situations, what are they thinking most about? Where's their heart and mind? Um, mm -hmm. And rather than imposing, right, a, a certain narrative on their experience, um, mm -hmm. but trying to say like, what are, I talked to 
nurses who work with people at the end of their lives recently. And they said, one nurse said, I asked people, what are you thinking about now? Yeah. And I thought, what a lovely question, (laughs) you know, rather than like saying, I'm sure you're thinking about this, right? Right. Right. (laughs) Um, Right. To invite the reflection of someone who's in that space. And it, you know, it could go into a really challenging place. It could go into a really grace-filled place, but these are uncomfortable spaces. And so part of this too is to try to encourage people to live with that unsettled sense that you don't maybe have the answer and it's not your narrative ultimately to frame. It's, you know, they can try to tell their part of the story from where they're at right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the things with that um, trajectory of hope that you were speaking about, one of the things I come away from the book with is both a lot of gratitude for how you've unpacked the dimensions of trauma and the need for lament and that space, and also a sense where cancer patients, you know, speaking specifically in the Christian community, Christian cancer patients have something that other Christians need to hear, that uh, um, often the Christian community buys into kind of short-sighted views of the gospel narrative and the story of how, you know, how we are united to the death and resurrection of Christ. Yeah. Cancer patients can remind us, yes, God is present here even when we are crying out in lament, even when we feel alienated and moments of joy. But it's also not yet resurrection. (laughs) Like... You use that phrase, and I would have voted in favor of that being your final <laughs> right? Um, right. So, Me too. <laughs> I mean, I've had so many conversations where that phrase has come to mind, where I talk mm. to someone, and the storyline they have for how God acts in the world is resurrection now. And, um, and mm. they seem really worried sometimes in talking just when I say that my cancer is incurable. They want to fix it. Um, right. But but the Christian storyline is is that it's not here yet. I mean, like mm-hmm. there's there's some mm-hmm. good things here and absolutely. And the spirit is present, but it's 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 not it's not a fully resolved story that that we live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think y- your point about the Christian community needs to hear some things from people who are really ill, um, you know, And what I would say, too, is one of the takeaways from working on this book is that and a message that I try to carry to the different groups I speak to is that experiences of God's absence and experiences of even despair are experiences that are within the parameters of a life of faith Mm -hmm. rather Mm -hmm. than outside of. If you go to the depths of shale or the depths of the pit. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where for a lot of people, they really feel like if you express those things, you've stepped outside of the Mm -hmm. experience of faith or a life of faith Mm -hmm. and you're being unfaithful. Right. I talk a lot about in high school, like I heard from, you know, a youth director 
if you experience, you know, God not being close to you, chances are you're the one who's moved, right? Like you've oh, yeah, become yeah, I've heard distant. That. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. And and I think, you know what, when I got cancer and didn't experience a close presence of God, I'm pretty sure I didn't move. Like I'm not, I'm not really willing to take that one on myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that is part of the message that I think is really important. And I, this is where, you know, hope, the opposite of hope is kind of a fear, like mm-hmm. that there's this fear that you're not being faithful. And, and so people, speak out of that sense of fear, like, oh, you can't ask that question, or you can't be mad at God, or you can't, well, yes, you can. And in fact, people, like, it's in the biblical text, (laughs) it's in the Psalms, right? Um, Being angry, questioning God is, is a part of the life of faith. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and I think, you know, some way kind of giving permission to people to say, this is actually part of who you are as a person of faith. And it's, it's okay. It's okay mm-hmm. to have those thoughts and, and it's okay to express those. Um, mm-hmm. I think we want to widen that sense of what a life of faith is really about and give people permission to, you know, go public with those experiences. Um, I think that'll be helpful ultimately to all of us. Absolutely. And can even give us, yeah, deeper insight into scripture as well. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much for the conversation, Deanna. This book is one that is not written just to fill some sort of scholarly gap, but it really is a book in the face of fear, a book of courage, and Mm -hmm. one with a lot of implications. If you happen to be mortal, um, and if you happen (laughs) to, especially if you happen to know someone or be yourself struggling with a serious illness, Uh It really opens up a lot of windows. So thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Thanks so much, Todd. It's been a privilege. Thank you for joining us for the End of the Christian Life podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends about it. You can find my book, The End of the Christian Life, on Amazon or at any other major retailer. Thank you, and peace to you.